Funding for The Spark is provided by Capital Blue Cross, focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like Capital Blue Cross Connect Health and Wellness Centers, which provide in-person services and inspire healthy living. Learn more at CapitalBlueCross.com. The Spark is also supported by UPMC, providing primary and advanced specialty care throughout all of central Pennsylvania and beyond. A list of providers in the area can be found at upmc.com slash findadoc. Welcome back to The Spark. I'm Scott Lamar. Tim Card of Mount Joy in Lancaster County has described himself as never sitting still for long. He's married with seven children and owned a CrossFit gym, has been a youth pastor, sells real estate, and rides motorcycles. A little over five years ago, Card was diagnosed with cancer, diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, and it could have taken his life. But Card became a pioneer. He was the first person treated at the Penn State Cancer Institute in Hershey with chimeric antigen receptor T-cell therapy, or CAR-T. Tim Carr is with us on the Spark today. Tim Card, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me, Scott. It's an honor to be here. First of all, how do you feel? I feel great. And have you been feeling great? <laughs> yeah, I've been feeling great for almost five years now. So you've been in remission yeah, for that remission long? Yeah, remission since 2019. 2019, okay. Yeah. So take us back, though, to September 2017 when you weren't feeling, feeling so well. Yeah. Well, how did you feel at that time? First of all, you were working, you owned a CrossFit gym did, at that yeah, time. Yeah, CrossFit Lancaster was my gym. Was, I, I built up a really special place there. And um, I was, you know, I, I was tired a lot. And I always chalked up to something else. Of course, I'm tired. You know, I, I run a gym, I have seven kids, I'm building a real estate practice. Why wouldn't I fall asleep when I sit down? Right? Like, of course, I'm exhausted. But then I started getting this pain in my side, this this pain in my right side that just wouldn't quit. It wouldn't go away. And I thought I was hiding it pretty well, but I, I clearly was not. And I was at the gym one night, and usually when I was coaching, you know, you got a room full of people. It's a big room full of 30 people or so, and I'm yelling and screaming, and, you know, do it again, do it faster, do it better, do it heavier. And this time I was sitting on a pile of weights and you know, not really engaging a whole lot. And and, and one, of the, one of the members says, Tim, you need to go to the hospital. Like, something is, is wrong. You need to go, and I'll clean up. You know, you leave. Uh, so I went to urgent care, and they told me that I had pulled a muscle, you know, and take some Flexerol and some Advil, and I'd be fine by, by morning. And so I did that, and then by, by midnight, it hurt so bad, I drove myself to the ER, and, and that's when things kind of started getting interesting. So describe this pain. I mean, it sounded like it was, at first, just something that was with you that oh, I, maybe I pulled a muscle, but yeah. it got progressively worse. Yeah, it was annoying, and then it felt like I was just being stabbed, like, constantly. So It was, it was bad. When you drove to the ER, what did they, what did they do? Well, they gave me a, a CAT scan. Uh, they, they told me a bunch of things that I didn't have. You know, they told me it wasn't an impacted bowel. It wasn't a kidney stone. I didn't have to gallbladder removed. My appendix wasn't rupturing. They, they tried to reassure me a lot of ways. What they didn't tell me is what I did have. And I asked them point blank, like, well, what's going on? I'm glad it's not these things, but you know, what's happening? And their, their response, and it's true, was you know, the ER's job is, is to diagnose the acute, the acute problem and fix it and then get you to your doctor. Right? It's not to diagnose what's actually going on. It's to solve the problem. Um, so they did that. They gave me some medicine and, and sent me on my way. But I asked them point blank, like, I don't have cancer, though, do I? Because I'm running out of options. And he says, really, you just need to go talk to your doctor and you know, you'll be okay from there. So I did that the next day. I went in right away, and you know, they were able to get me in in the morning, and 
they're scanning for things like all oh, these autoimmune diseases, lupus and Lyme disease, all the stuff that I kind of knew it wasn't, but you got to jump through the hoops. That was Friday morning. By by Saturday morning, I was able to log into the hospital's online patient portal, and I saw my CAT scan report. And the doctor that that I saw wrote the reports, and you know, right here, prim- big mass on his right side, primary concern is lymphoma, and the secondary concern is some type of lobular cancer, so essentially testicular cancer. I thought, oh, I hope I don't have that one. <laughs> <laughs> you have seven kids. I, I can't right? imagine why. They yeah. did. They've done their job. You <laughs> shouldn't laugh in the middle of a cancer <laughs> diagnosis. But Look, if you can't laugh at it, you're not going to make it, right? Like, <laughs> there's funny in everything. So you basically learned about your diagnosis online. Online, yeah, on the Internet. That's not what you go to the Internet for. Yeah, you didn't uh, have a human being actually say to you because everyone kind of pictures this when they have a doctor say unfortunately you have cancer you didn't experience that no no so i went in to my doctor again on monday like hot and and tore into him for no good reason because he didn't know either like he hadn't seen the report and but i just needed to yell at the closest medical professional i could find and uh, so i did and then i apologized profusely i knew it wasn't his fault but i was terrified Like, I just got a terrifying diagnosis uh, on the Internet, and I didn't know what to do. But you didn't really have the exact diagnosis. No, no, I didn't. So when did you get that? So pretty shortly thereafter. um, It became a game of hurry up and wait at that point. It was, um, yeah, you think we do think you have cancer. You need to see the oncologist. His next appointment is two weeks. So I had to wait two weeks. And they tell you, like, you know, don't go looking up your symptoms, which is like, you know, telling the wolf not to eat the red meat. Like, of course you're going to. Uh, so I, I was on Dr. Google. I learned more about my lymphatic system than I ever thought I would learn and, uh, and ever wanted to know. And got to the oncologist, and he says, yeah, it looks like you got cancer. We have to do some biopsies. Uh, they did a bone marrow biopsy right there in the, in the office. That was fun because I've been lifting heavy things for about a decade at this point. My bones are dense. And and the poor nurse that was trying to get that bone marrow needle into my hip, she couldn't get it. It it just it took a long time to get that thing through. Um, wow. Then they did a bone they did that biopsy, the biopsy, the actual mass uh, came back said yeah that it, it's it's non Hodgkin's lymphoma that's what you've got. So in that two week period was that one that you were looking up or were there so many other things going through your mind? I was mostly concerned with lymphoma. Uh, my uncle had non Hodgkin's lymphoma, so I thought maybe there's some hereditary aspect to it. There's not. And it's, it's just luck. But um, but it, that, since that's what he said the primary concern was, that's what I was looking at. And what's going through your mind over that two-week period? It was awful. It was awful. Like, I do everything right. Like, I don't drink a whole lot. I don't smoke. Like, all the stuff you're not supposed to do. I exercised all the time. I was in the best shape of my life. Yeah, and then this rolls up. So what kind of treatment plan did they come up with? So the treatment I got initially was the same treatment I would have got any hospital in the world. They all, or at least in the country, they all follow the same flow chart. You have this disease, you have this diagnosis, here's step one. And it was six rounds of a, of a cocktail called R-CHOP. Um, so I'd go in on Wednesday, they'd pump me full of medicine, and then I'd leave at the end of the day. It took most of the day. And then Thursday and Friday, I felt okay. And then by Saturday, I started feeling pretty rotten. And then by the beginning of the next week, you're miserable, just miserable. And you start to come out of it just in time for the next dose three weeks later. Now, this is that chemotherapy? It's chemotherapy, okay. yeah. So it's rituxin. There's a whole I don't remember what they all stand for. When you say feel awful, in what way? You just, you have no energy. Um, you, know, you, you really can't do a whole lot. You're, I was very cranky. Um, the the pee in, in, in CHOP is uh, prednisone. 
which is a steroid that affects your personality. I'm already exhausted, and now I've got this particularly short fuse thanks to the prednisone and, and seven little matches running around my house. It was so bad that the uh, for rounds five and six, my sister and my parents had come out from New Jersey, and my sister came out for round five and or four, and she says, listen, she comes to my room, and I'm hiding in the dark, like trying not to yell at people. She said, look, how about when I take you when I go home, I'm going to take you to mom and dad's, and you can ride this out there where it's quiet and all that and i didn't want to i said no i don't want to do that that's terrible i don't want to leave trish with all the kids to be fed and watered and educated and that's not fair to her at all and she says no you don't understand this was trish's idea i'm but trying trish, to, your wife. i'm trying to soften this a bit but you're going to new jersey yeah trish is my wife yeah. <laughs> so it was trish's suggestion because uh, the whole family i mean obviously with it's a, a diagnosis like this yeah the whole family is impacted yeah yeah, it was tough. And and halfway through, I told the doc, like, I don't I don't think this is working. Like something doesn't I, I don't know if this is going right. And the uh the 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 procedure that I was on, the success rate was something like eighty percent. It was supposed to be inconvenient, you know, but you'll get through it. In six or three months, four months you'll be done and it'll be fine. And um you know, they took a PET scan in the beginning. Actually, I was I was diagnosed as, as um stage three, which means it was above and below my diaphragm. But it wasn't in any other organs. Um, so my, my torso lit up like a Christmas tree. It was all over the place. And they took another one uh, in the middle, and it looked like it was reducing. I said, oh, all right, maybe it is working. Maybe I'm wrong. And then they took another one at the end. I got my last treatment on Valentine's Day. Very romantic thing to do on Valentine's Day. And um, they took another PET scan in, in two, three weeks later. And sure enough, I had just about as much there as I did in the beginning. So the, the medicine did almost nothing. So after that experience, and it did almost nothing, what are you thinking at that point? At that point, I'm thinking I'm, I'm done. Like, your, your, your survival rate flip-flops at that point. You go from 80% to maybe 20. You know, for a five-year survival rate, it's not good. And there's not a lot of options after that. Um, and especially with me, you know, there's, there's three R's in cancer. Remission is the good one, right? You used to have cancer, we gave you medicine, and now you don't. And that's the good kind. And then there's relapse. You used to have cancer, we gave you medicine, you didn't, but now it's back. What I had was refractory. You had cancer, we gave you medicine, you still have cancer. Right? That's a particularly nasty strain of whatever you've got. So that knocked my survival rate down even lower into the teens. Um, and, and where I was, well, you're done. we can't do any more here. It's time for you to go to Hershey. The Cancer Institute. Yeah, the Cancer Institute in Hershey, Penn State Hershey. And um, the next, and, and for the most part, the last rung in the ladder is a bone marrow transplant. So that's what I was expecting when I got there. You know, we're going to give you a bone marrow transplant. You have to get on this list called Be the Match. We've got to find a match for you. It's not like finding a blood match. It's, it's, I think there's several hundred thousand people on there, and I found two that, that were an adequate match for me. And I think there's 12 or 13 proteins that all have to match. Um, and if they don't, it doesn't work. And you run the same risk of, of, of an organ rejection as you would with any other organ. You know, but it's your immune system. It's your blood. So it's a little harder to you know, zip it out and put another one in. I know it's not... You know, quite that simple but the idea is the same um so they explained that they explained the time frame for how long it's going to take you know, it's going to be a couple months i was going to have to play you know keep tim alive for that whole summer because uh, it's going to take time to find a donor and all that stuff and then he says now listen though we've got this other idea let's wait on the other idea because yeah. that's when you became a pioneer yes but i before we do that yeah keep tim alive yeah how do you keep tim alive with, during that period with a lot of chemo you know, it was, it was every month I had to go in overnight and, and go, I, would, I would go to the, uh, the Hershey Spawn Cancer Center, I'd call it. 
you know, and spend the night away at Hershey Spa and pump me full of chemo. It was just salvage chemo. Like, they knew this wasn't going to save me. This is just going to keep it at bay. Uh, I had to get a, a, a week of radiation at some point because that mass started growing again. It was hurting really bad. And, and I'd, I'd gone through all the Advil and Tylenol and morphine that I had left at my house. And I went to the ER and they said, yeah, you got to stay. And uh, we got some stuff to do. <laughs> so let's get to the point where this new therapy, this new treatment, that they brought it out to you. Sure. So the, the biggest thing with it, it, it both those, those paths kind of ran parallel for a long time. So I, you know, we'd have to play keep team alive anyway. So we had to get hospital approval. We had to get the drug company approval. Like insurance companies had to be approved, everything. So there was a lot of overlap for that, that, first, for that summer. Um, and one of the things that, that really tipped the scales for me in favor of CAR-T was, was the downside. Like, what's the worst case scenario and what do we do from there? You know, and if I got CAR-T here at Hershey and it didn't work at the time, I could stay there and get a bone marrow transplant. So I could keep the incredible team of oncologists and all that. Uh, but if I got a bone marrow transplant first and it didn't work, I'd still have to get CAR-T, but at the time I couldn't get it there. I'd have to go anywhere else would be grossly more inconvenient than, uh, than Hershey, right? It's 25 minutes from my house, right? Uh, the other side of it was, was the, the recovery time. You know, and they talk bone marrow transplant recovery time in terms of months and years. And I have things to do. Like, I have, there's stuff I want to do. And I didn't want to wait years to get going again. And CAR-T, they talked about in terms of weeks and months. And uh, I think the suffering is the same. It's just condensed. You know, it's, it, you get the same effect. But, man, it's, 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 just, it's an intense time frame. When they tell you that no one has done this before, mm -hmm. do you hesitate at all? Oh, yeah. I know that the first time I've done things is almost never the best time that I've done things. So I was a little nervous that, you know, I'm going to be the first one. But then I remember, too, that, like, this isn't like, you know, you know, hold my beer and check this out. This is some of the best doctors in the world that have been extensively trained and well-educated. And I figured I'm going to have more on me, eyes on me as the first than the fifth guy will. You know, because it's the first one. So when I when I actually got the medicine, the, the hospital room was full. Yeah, there's there's probably a dozen people in there. It's very crowded. <laughs> you didn't care at that point. At that point, I didn't care. You know, it had been so long, and I just wanted to get on with it. Yeah. But uh, but it was weird. Like the head of the hospital was there, the head of the oncology department was there, my oncologist Trish, you know, and a bunch of other people were all in there. So how does this treatment work? So they the first thing they do is they put a disturbingly large tube in your in your in your jugular. Because they got to get a lot of blood out. It looks like a drinking straw. And they hook you up to a phoresis machine. It takes all day. They take the blood out, and they spin it around. They call it what looks like Neapolitan ice cream. right? And they get chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. They want to take the vanilla out and put the chocolate and the strawberry back in. And the vanilla is your T-cells. So then they take those, and they put them in a Ziploc bag, pretty much. And one of those little coolers that you, like you get at a garage sale, like an igloo cooler, they put it in that. And they fly that out to California. And in California, there's a whole factory that's dedicated to making just these single doses of medicine. Like if you had CAR-T and you took my dose, it wouldn't work. Right? It's specifically for the person that gets it. So they get that medicine and they, they get the T-cells and they, they put them in this purple goo and it, and it increases and multiplies into billions and billions of cells. And then they do a, a variation of the HIV virus to, to upload the RNA to make it attack my cancer. And, uh, and then they put it back into you. Yeah, so, so these are actually your cells. They're they my took cells. out them. They changed them. Yep. And what they went to California and then came back and they're putting your cells back into you. They've been altered somehow. Yeah, they're they're like a, a special forces unit. <laughs> so 
I understand. I, I saw a quote from you that said this was the hardest thing you ever had to do. Now, you've described what you've described so far <laughs> hasn't sounded like this a, any day part. at the park. Yeah. So the hardest thing you had to do, talk about that experience. So there's two big side effects that come with CAR-T. One is called um, uh, cytokine storm, cytokine release syndrome, where these cells are different enough that your, your immune system attacks them and puts up a, a, a healthy fight. I got another dose of chemo the day before I got these put in me to, to try and reduce that as much as it could, but it still hit pretty hard. You know, I had a fever of over 105 for a while, um, so that was, that was uncomfortable. And then the second one is called neural toxicity, where somehow these, these T cells, they do affect your brain. And uh, I spent six days in the ICU. I had, to, I had to learn how to walk again at some point, and uh, I don't remember a lot of those times. I do remember a couple times. Like I remember once with my dad saying, I can't, I can't do this. This is too hard. Like I really thought that you know, if the disease didn't get me, the medicine was going to. So how long did that go on? I was in the hospital for 17 days, and it was probably uh, two or three days too short. But I really wanted to get out of the hospital. So they gave me some, some, uh, some parameters I had to meet that I had no control over. They said, pass a kidney stone and get your liver function back to normal, and then we'll let you go. So I did. <laughs> how, how do you try to pass a kidney stone? I don't stone? know. I don't know. My, I just wanted to get out. Uh, so and it, I was on so much pain medicine, I didn't even feel it. But oh, everybody, really? like, everything was a spectator sport. So I, I went to the bathroom. They looked and said, oh, look, there's the stone. Let's check your liver function. Oh, man, he did it. Now we got to let him go. Have you ever celebrated anything in your life other than those seven kids being born right. passing his kidney stone? Uh, I didn't really celebrate it a whole lot. It really was kind of anticlimactic at that point. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Everything kind of is at that yeah, point, At that right? point, yeah. So was there a point where you thought, okay, that was hard, but now I'm getting better? It took a while. You know, I... I um. I came home and I was back and forth at the hospital every other day for a month, month and a half. Uh, I got fluids and medicine and all that stuff, and you know I, I could barely walk up the stairs in my house, and it took some time. But then, about a month after I got home, I think it was beginning of October. So this is September. Excuse me, end of September that I got home. Twenty eighteen. Yeah, twenty eighteen. I think it was September twenty seventh, twenty eighteen. I got home, and by middle of October, I decided I didn't want to be sick anymore. I'm not going to let this define me anymore. I'm going to get better. So I got on my bike, you know, not on the road because I didn't have really much balance at that point either, but I'm in my garage, in my trainer, and I had a, an account set up and I could play the video game and I rode five miles and I thought, well, maybe the medicine's not going to kill me, but this might. And, um, but I was sweating. It was awful. And, um, but then a day and a half later, or two days later, I did it again and I went six miles and then I did it again. I went seven miles and then I said, how far can I go in an hour? And I just kept doing that and doing that and doing that. And just worked my way up to being healthy again. I didn't want to be sick anymore. Is that what motivated you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the, the part of it, too, is the fear that, like, this, this guy snuck up on me the first time. You know, there's no reason why he can't do it again. And if I wasn't as strong as I was when I got sick, if I didn't have such a, a huge supply of health to draw from, you know, I don't know that I would have made it through. What's Murph? Murph is a workout that you do at CrossFit every Memorial Day. Uh, pretty much every CrossFit gym in the world does it. You run a mile. And then you do 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats, and then you run another mile. And I've done that every year for the last eight or nine years at that point. Uh, the two years prior to that, I did it with a weighted vest. Uh, I didn't light the world on fire, but it took me about an hour. I got it done. Um, and I did it again. So by May, Memorial Day of 20, what year is that, 2019, I did it again. That was kind of a goal. Like, I want to be able to do Murph. And I rode a 75-mile a bike ride called the Fool's Classic. 
um, that weekend as well. So Saturday I did this huge bike ride with 7,000 feet of climbing and 20 miles of gravel, and then Monday I did Murph. And you were in remission from cancer. I'm in remission. All right. So when you found out you were in remission, now you said cancer-free. Your Mm -hmm. doctor kind of uses another term. Yeah, he dances around it. Yeah. But uh, when were you told? How were you told? What was your reaction? We were told in November. Uh, I don't remember the exact date, but it was November of 2019. And um, we were at the hospital. We did another scan. And he he pulled up right on the spot and said, here, let's look and zoomed in on it and so here's where the problem was. I don't see it. You're 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 as cancer free as you're ever going to be at this point. And you're still in remission. Still in remission. Well, congratulations. I mean, that's a hell of a story. Thank you. Yeah. So something I wanted to bring up, in, in and you, I have to say, you probably are an inspiration talking to let people listen to you today. But uh, you've been nominated as the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society's Visionary of the Year. What's that yes. mean? So that is a huge fundraising effort in Central Pennsylvania and all around the country. Last year, the team rose over four hundred thousand dollars. So uh, this is something I I'm, I was honored to be nominated by to participate in. And uh, that starts in March. It's a 10-week fundraising campaign. starts March 23rd and goes till the beginning of June. Mm. So we only have a minute or so left, actually less than a minute. Uh, what's the takeaway? What, what do you tell people after this experience? That every single day is crucial. Like live this day as fully as you possibly can because you don't know what's coming next. This is all we have right now. So live it as best as you possibly can. Tim Garden, you are an inspiration. Thank Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm Scott Lamar. Have yourself a great day.